Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. What does what does a night out with Jonathan Wilson look like? Uh, him, yeah, holding a wine glass in a really poncy way and pontificating about <laughs> things and telling long, drawn-out anecdotes. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually going home because everyone wants to go somewhere else and he kind of ha- can't hack it. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. I've heard you're a boozer though, Miguel, so... No. <laughs> <laughs> what, is it better or worse than seeing uh, James Montague and Philippe Auclair going at it? Oh. I mean, that was entertaining. I wouldn't want to see that every night. No. <laughs> what, every um, other night? Yeah, um... <laughs> a bit too much. <laughs> All right, fair Miguel, you've written an investigative report into the imbalance in football at the top level in 2020. It was published yesterday in The Independent under the title How Modern Football Became Broken Beyond Repair. And it references several troubling incidents and trends in terms of competitions. One, win percentages of the top teams, domination of leagues by super wealthy clubs, including first ever 100-point seasons in several countries, unprecedented trebles, etc., etc., And I wanted to pull one particular quote from the article out. Uh, And you said, the concentration of money has brought a concentration of quality and thereby success. Uh, It's a really informative piece. It's also a deeply sort of bombastic and troubling one. I mean, how concerned should we be by this in European football and why? Well, I think as the end of the article sums up pretty much, uh, and this is from talking to people at the top level of the game, involved in the discussions about potential distribution, the calendar... And I know this has come up for this has been hovering for years, the threat of a Super League. But it does actually feel like the game is the game is going to splinter a little bit, and we're at that almost that tipping point where um, I think as Nicola Cortese said to me about the former Southampton chief executive, the, the forces interest in the Super League might sense their opportunity or sense the opportunity for some sort of some sort of drastic restructuring of the Champions League, which is very much on the agenda. Um, and, and the worst thing about that is, even though that's obviously a grotesque scenario that kind of goes against 
everything we follow football for and why most people are in it. It's actually arguably desirable because it's the only potential solution to what's happening in football, which is predictability almost across the board. And, you know, people might point to various examples in leagues, like, say, at Atalanta, Sudden Surge. But the worst thing about that is, is that these are increasing exceptions in what are undeniable wider trends, which is predictable. I mean, I pointed out in the piece, but right now, Across Europe, and this is only the most extreme example of what we're talking about, 13 of the 54 leagues, that's a quarter, um, are basically either undergoing their single longest uh, winning streak in terms of uh, one team winning it, mm-hmm. or the single longest longest type of portion of domination, like Dynamo Zagreb have won 13 of 14 leagues. Bayern Munich had previously only ever won three leagues in a row, they're currently going for eight. Uh, and the fact this goes from right from the top to from... Italy and Germany through the middle to Austria and on down to the very bottom Andorra illustrates the depth of the problem. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? The fact that we see this problem as very much traditionally, if we go back, say, five or six years before the Mm. current or or even further before the current dominance of Paris Saint-Germain, Barcelona, one eight out of 11, you can you can say them as well. Um, Juventus. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, You think of it as very much a second or third tier league kind of problem don't you yeah. because when you think of leagues where the same teams win every year and it's actually not the case at the moment but you think Greece mm-hmm. you think Norway you think Olympiakos you think Scotland, Rosenberg yeah. exactly and that's somewhere where you know you can squarely lay the blame in terms of that league in, yeah. in terms of those leagues at the at the feet of the Champions League can't you because if you're Olympiakos or if you're Rosenberg or I suppose you could look at Ajax at the moment yeah the fact that they've trousered this extraordinary amount of money from an unexpected run to the Champions League semi-final, very unexpected run to the Champions League semi-final. They did well to get into the groups in the first place. Plus the fact with, with them, of course, they sold um, De Ligt and De Jong for absolutely extraordinary amounts, which was pure profit, profit because they were youth products. If Ajax don't get it wrong, mm-hmm. they should realistically be champions for the next five, yeah. six seasons. But I think the fact that you think like that shows you really what the problem is. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of Champions League money, I mean, we've we've seen it if you look through the, the Deloitte reports of the last couple of years. When, say, Chelsea haven't made the Champions yeah. League, it's not been such a big deal yeah. because they've got the Premier League money because they offset it with player training, the way they've sold academy products and kids they've bought really young, just like Manchester City, mm. I, I, I suppose. So really, this has moved away from being something we can squarely lay at the Champions League, isn't it? Well, I think the, the Champions League is actually, it's two levels of problem. First of all, it's that direct problem, you say. It's the amount of money it pumps into clubs, which, and, and I think that's had the most distortive effect on all the clubs outside the elite. Like Dynamo Zagreb are the ones yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Ab- absolutely. And it, it completely changes a, a league like that. It yeah. makes yeah. you immensely powerful. Yeah, and, I, and that's even only by getting to the group, or getting to the to the qualifying stage, yes. not, even the, not even the group. Yeah. Uh, and I say it's similar in Ireland, Dundalk, when it got it two years in a row, now five out of six. So the Champions League, it gives you that direct influx of money. And say if Atalanta were to go far this season, they'd mm. benefit from a similar thing. They've already gone beyond the group, so yeah. sure that's yeah, going to ha- exactly. make a make a. So that'll probably get them what... It'll end up getting about 40 million. Because the other side of it then is, and it's not just a financial capital, it's also kind of, I suppose, a, a social capital. Um, what, in terms of branding? Well, and yeah, yeah, recognition. Yeah, exactly. Because the Champions League has become such a be all and end all 
that to be in it now gives you such a massive platform that it just increases your scope for what is becoming one of the most relevant issues in all this, the amount of money teams can make. And I think this probably speaks to the wider problem in that the reason super clubs exist basically is because there's a handful of clubs that have a truly global fan base. So and if you if you look at that in purely business terms, which sorry which I, I referenced Soriano, the current Manchester City chief executive, former Barcelona in the book, but that's essentially a massive global audience, a market that you can that you can exclusively exploit. Mm. And and it's extremely difficult for any other club to build this without what, 15 years of regular competition in the Champions League. So you're saying that a lot of the benefits of this are almost intangible because it makes them more, it makes the yeah. club more visible and yeah. therefore a- a- able to inf- get into these different areas all around the world in a way that's quite hard to measure yeah. but tells its own story longer term. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a, something that's worked perhaps for Atletico Madrid, you would yeah. say, under, under the Simeone era. I mean, they're not quite a super club, mm. but they're definitely pushing up into, into that sort of area. If you look at the amount of times they've been in the Champions League, if you look at the amount they're able to spend in, on transfers now if you look at the stadium yeah. all those are things and presumably they, they hope those will take root further in, in, in years to come I mean I think if you were going to have a closed Super League if, if that were yeah. actually to happen they would be they're they'd an get, interesting they'd get, they'd get in yeah they're, they're one of those teams that are just about on the cusp yeah, I suppose yeah. like, like Spurs actually yeah yeah Spurs mm. I suppose Dortmund would, yeah. would be another Dortmund one because you need another German team really yeah and because of, of that kind of allure they but, have isn't it, isn't it um, forgive me this is a stupid question but we are going to talk about a European Super League something that kind of comes up every so often when you do these types of shows ever since I've been doing them is it not beneficial for the said European Super League to just have as many teams as possible? In well, it? no, because what they want is but the team. Why would they not have a Dortmund or not? Well, have well, a- well what, what is really relevant to this is the teams the biggest TV markets. Mm. And because because the whole principle and it's it, it's it's what's causing a crisis in the global football calendar now and why the likes of Florentino Perez are are pushing for you know FIFA's Club World Cup idea. What they want is more matches against the biggest teams because they're the most glamorous, most lucrative matches. The more of those you play, the more money you get. But I mean, surely that's. I mean, and perhaps, it, and this is exactly why you've written the article. I mean, there's obviously several reasons why you've written it, but isn't that just like horrendously short-sighted? Because of course, you're going to generate exactly the same problem you're generating now, which is like the yeah. predictability of it. People are you know, just because you know you you like having a you know lion once a week and <laughs> staying in bed till eleven. If you do that every single day for your entire life, it comes quite becomes quite boring. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Surely there there must be a plan beyond that. Well, yeah, and it, but but this is what's happened in football. Just, I mean, and you know, I know this is a European podcast. The so Premier League already proves it. It was initially a break breakaway and now we're getting to the point where there's going to be a breakaway of a breakaway, breakaway so yeah, just, yeah. these mm. kind of ever decreasing circles of, of greed and, and actually it's, it's David Goldblatt who puts it like that in the piece where he, where he talks about basically this death spiral between a handful of clubs and for what purpose because it's actually not like they're making that much money out of this in relative terms for like mm. fo- football compared to big business yeah, yeah exactly yeah. I mean Man- Manchester United aren't the size of Greg's no, uh, neither are Barcelona or Real Madrid, which is uh, isn't, isn't the Simon Cooper. I don't, know, I don't know if it's still accurate now, but when Simon Cooper wrote the, the, the book that kind of talked about this for the first time, to my knowledge, he said that um, Man United's um, ten-year revenue or something is like what Tesco making a quarter yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Um, but but that's it. Yeah, and so it is about all, yeah, just, just those extremely glamorous matches for them. Mm. Um, but. I mean, I suppose the most favourable way you could put that, even though obviously the idea is horrendous, is that it would be like some sort of European NFL, where mm. it's just this ex- exceptionally glossy product between a group of clubs who are all of similar resources, just kind of crashing against each other. Mm. Now, you could say the, latter, the knockout stages of the Champions League are like that, but just obviously in elim- elimination form, mm. which makes them so good. And at the same time, I mean, it is this... I mean, that's why I put it in the... In, uh, 
as you put in the intro, the concentration of quality. Mm. I mean, the flip side of this is, and what's so seductive about it, and why it's so successful, is because we've probably never had a quality of, fo- there's never been a quality of football like this. I think it's the exponential growth in the quality of the game due to all these factors, which is the collection of so much quality from so many areas at a handful of clubs. Is just it's- the, the question is, with the product being driven so vigorously, is that something that you can maintain? Because I don't know what you think, but I've, I've talked to a, a couple of people about this and um, I, I think that the feeling this season is that the quality of football all the way across Europe, and mm-hmm. I include the elite clubs in that, is not what it should be. I mean, there are a few rare exceptions, um, but I have to say, I think um, Bayern Munich would be in a better position to be challenged by a stronger league. Uh, you can say the same for Juventus. Uh, Barcelona is still hanging about the top when they shouldn't really be yeah. with, the, with the season But, but isn't that got. indictment in itself? Like Barca, mm. It's almost mm. like true, a pure critical mass and Leo Messi. Uh, they're basically, they're still just hanging in there when they should almost be having a Manchester United season. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I, I do think there's, a, a, I don't know, if, if people did look a little bit further ahead, I think you look at Paris Saint-Germain and the, mm. the problem they have at the moment or more more specifically, the problem that Ligue 1 has at the moment, because I think you look at the television rights there, who've been um, uh, picked up by by Media Pro, which is a, a Spanish company, who've still not completely said how... They've got the rights from next season, but they've not said like, which, which sort of channel they're going to form, what it's going to be called, how they're going to diffuse it, all that sort of stuff. And it's causing quite a lot of consternation in France. But I think the reason you've ended up at that point is because, of course... Uh, Al Jazeera, which became being in in Europe and in in America and the Middle East and what have you for sport, um, the the way they 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 did it, they came in at Paris Saint Germain and they thought, right, we're gonna have our our share of the TV market at the, the the same time. So I don't know, it's just like say when Manchester City had taken over, if the owners of Manchester City had bought a load of the TV rights to the the, the, the Premier League as well, it's a, it's a similar thing. But what I think. The, the the Qataris didn't realise or or didn't really take ownership of quickly enough in France is the fact that if you're going to be so much stronger than everyone everyone else and especially in France and th- this will apply to other com- countries but it, p- it particularly pertains to France the fact that they're, they're so into the idea still of the sport they feel sport is too commercial and they feel it should be sport it should be competitive yes. and all, all that sort of stuff and immediately you had like Jean-Michel Olas of, of Lyon for example saying well I'll tell you what why don't you lend us a couple of your players who can't <coughs> get in the team because mm. it'll make the league competitive you know mm. so he's asking yeah. for I think at the time Mamadou Sacco maybe Adrian Rabiot players players like that and there's one side of you think he's, he's a bit of a cheeky bastard isn't he <laughs> but actually He's, he's got yeah. a point because now you, you've got to a, a level with Ligue 1 where it's, it's quite a turn-off yeah. for a lot of the, the, the French sporting audience because, as you say, that innate impredict- unpredictability of football, which is something that's so mm. precious to the viewing experience, it re- it re- simply isn't really there anymore, despite the odd season where you've had Montpellier and Monaco. Yeah, and it reminds it. me of that. I don't know if you guys have read David Miller's book, Racing Through the Dark. He talks about how he was fed up of being told he was the first clean rider back. Yeah. And almost like he was having a different competition within the same competition with yeah, other yeah. people because of the doping involved. But Miguel, what would you say to people who say hang on a minute, you're going a bit over the top here because essentially what is at the very core of this is not just what you're talking about, but it's 
the idea of ownership of top clubs. Like yeah. the, the Juventus family, Agnelli family is worth $14 billion. You've got the Qataris in, involved in City and PSG. You've got Abramovich at Chelsea. You've got all these things happening. There's nothing to stop that going on and that kind of makes it very imbalanced too. So is it, it's not, I don't think there's anything in your article about how we address that problem as well. But, but there's actually a bit of an oddity there. I mean, when... I suppose this is the reason FFP came in is because, well, even though Abramovich was ironically one of the people to push it, but once he was established, which I suppose yeah. was the point he, he went kind of for. He wanted to pull the yeah. ladder up. Yeah, right? yeah. so it was a bit, I mean, FFP was initially to stop situations like Man- Manchester City. Yeah, the issue is, first of all, it, w- it was actually the explosion of money in football, which gave it this kind of global size. It was the, specifically that which made it attractive to all these sort of interests, like Abu Dhabi. Like, I mean, and it, and it, and it, it's what we come back to this point I made a few minutes ago, where they're not really investing in this for money. It's investing in it for something else, particularly country, you know, particularly the like soft power diplomacy, yeah, kind of stuff, yeah. global yeah. renown, exactly. But what yeah. FFP has done then is actually, and is Goldblatt makes this point in the piece that FFP could have been brilliant had it been brought in the nineties when we didn't, when it actually would have you know, nipped a lot of these issues in the board. But what it does now is basically kind of almost reinforce the glass ceilings. Mm. Um, it's kind of a bit like when yeah. they put measures in to sort the housing market out, but it doesn't, it's, yeah. the ship has sailed basically. Yeah, basically and exactly. It's, it's just, it's just kind of um, window dressing around it. Yeah, yeah, t- totally. The ship sailed, yeah. And, 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 what, and what, so we've got a situation now where we've got what I'd say about eight clubs with the potential of the two Milan clubs because of their global base who have, because of the way football is structured, if they maximise their massive global audiences, the only way you can actually compete with them is with a massive takeover. And if we're looking for these sort of, a lot of these takeovers are pretty much immoral. Yeah. I mean, it, it, PSG, uh, Qatar should never have been allowed to take over PSG. Abu Dhabi should never have been allowed to take over Man City. The Glazers should never have been allowed to take over Man City. There should have been protections in places. But this the situation there where you basically need some sort of massive takeover to compete of every with, club yeah. and, and there's, <laughs> I mean this, this, the Swedish situation is quite interesting actually in this sense the, uh, the Alsvenskan I think I hope mm. I'm pronouncing that right mm. in the sense that they, they belatedly brought in almost something similar to the 50 plus 1 rule and I think the line you, Goldblatt again uses in the piece is basically the comp- or the compensation for this lack of um, commercial enterprise is basically a greater football diversity uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that they've got one of the most competitive leagues in Europe. And it has meant that the, in Sweden, say, a lot of sponsors have gone to ice hockey because there's more controls on, on how you can market in Sweden and because of the potential scope of the clubs. But what, has done, what it's done is that within the country, it's created a much more vibrant scene. So can, what, there, can there be anything more diverse than uh, Zlatan buying shares in Hammerby? No, well, quite. We, we all saw the reception that got. What, so we've pointed out the, you've pointed out the problem, Miguel. I mean, obviously, without trying to sound too cynical, that's, you know, part of the issue but it's probably the easier part of the issue so what, what do you think happens next you guys and what do you think should happen next what, to, to, without putting too fine a point in it football essentially needs some sort of das capital uh, massive uh, re- uh, distribution revolution hmm. but that's just not going to happen if you, uh, one of the reasons this isn't going to happen if you look at this is a quite a basic point but at the moment there's uh, ongoing discussions to decide how UEFA prize money is distributed for the 21 to 24 cycle uh, at the moment that's 7.3% so that means that of all the money the UEFA competitions generate Champions League Europa League 7.3% goes back into the clubs not competing in Europe so that's a solidarity payment to try and um, I suppose prevent the gaps getting bigger but it doesn't it kind of just reinforces the system because that that 7.3 has actually gone down from the last cycle 
from 8.5. What should it be? Well, I mean, the, the European League's uh, group wants to bring it up to 20%. And the big club, I mean, the big clubs just want to reduce it further. Mm. And ultimately, you ain't going to listen to the big clubs because if you start talking about this sort of thing, as I again put in the piece, they'll just, you know, dangle a, the threat of some sort of breakaway or what, or mm. they'll flex their power. Mm. I mean, and that's, that's the most basic fact. I mean, redistribution resources is, is really the only way to solve this. But it's, <laughs> there's too many vested interests for it yeah. to actually happen. Would you go along with that, Andy? Yeah, well, it's, it's always an incredible, we've talked about it before, it's an incredible balancing act. Uh, for UEFA because they want to try and keep the lid on any potential breakaway but want to try and remain competitive at the same yeah. time and want to include as many teams as possible which is completely opposite to to what the biggest clubs want. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult in a way, isn't it? Because already you've had um, a, a changing of the, the parameters in a sense by the way the top four leagues get their four clubs directly in Mm. the weird thing is is how and you know we we talked about you talked in your piece Miguel about a few outliers the biggest outlier so far is probably Atalanta because Mm. they've been the team that's benefited from the the fourth place finish in Mm. in Italy haven't haven't they and that's something that's really changed things for for Italian football but it'd be interesting to see especially how Italy reacts because of those big leagues Italy is the one that's benefited the, the most from that change, but like the idea of a second group stage coming back is, Gosh, is, is it, something it, that it used to be so dreary. It was awful. Yeah. It was absolutely awful. I feel. I feel like, um, and we'll, we'll move on shortly. But I feel, I feel like, on one hand, I think, oh wow, when you, when I hear guys who know much more about it than me talking about, it, I think, well, it's going to implode. It's going to be. There's all sorts of going to go on. But I also the thing that stops me sort of thinking that and saying that is that ever since I've watched football, people have said the same thing, mm. and they're still miraculously still kind of but here. But that's the issue, and it's it's all these incremental shifts at, yeah, at every that's stage. It. That's it. So so when this was first talked about twenty years ago, if you compare that, the situation twenty years ago is now so much more desirable now hmm. uh, and I, I think a classic example being 20 years ago when you were watching Barcelona Real Madrid matches they just weren't as predictable as they are now they were beaten much more they weren't winning games by as much hmm. um, in fact and that's an interesting case in itself because in the 90s actually Barcelona Real won more games by three plus goals that dropped in the 2000s and it specifically dropped because of Spain's um, because more more equal redistribution rights that changed in 2004 and that's such a key cutoff point because suddenly we had a situation where we, went, where we had Deportivo and Valencia winning the league to end this unbroken streak of Real Madrid and Barcelona Bar Atletico poi Trezeguet sulla destra la palla spistata Nedved attenzione cerca il fondo pallonetto poi arriva d'alta del Piero gol Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, guys, after just 10 weeks in charge of Hertha Berlin, Jurgen Klinsmann's dream, and it was a dream, appears to be over at least to some extent. The big man himself, after going to all that trouble to locate his coaching forms, has decided to step upstairs because he doesn't have the trust of the club, apparently. His, his quotes are textbook, Klinsmann. He says, as head coach, I also need the trust of the people involved with this task, which has not yet been completed. Unity, cohesion and focus on the essential are the most important elements, especially in the relegation battle. If they are not guaranteed, I cannot exploit my potential as a trainer and therefore cannot live up to my responsibility. He was only supposed to coach to the end of the season anyway, Andy. So is this just a fun story with not much substance to it? Or does it tell us more about the Hertha project? Um, a bit of both. Uh, first thing, he's not a coach. Yeah, He's he's the, the manager. And that mm. seems to have been the, the, the biggest problem. The fact that he uh, wanted the sort of power that would have encroached on the sporting director, Michael Preetz, who's, who's, who's been there for a, a long time. When people talk about Klinsmann spending money, in January, Klinsman's not really spent the money, has he? The mm. club, backed by Lars Windhorst, has spent the money. And I think that's probably something that, that factors into this decision to a certain extent because, yeah, they did spend more than anyone else, but they've got not got Luca Toussaint for the moment. He's been uh, loaned back to, to Lyon for the remainder of the season, as was the, the, the player's desire. Um, so Christophe Piontek is the, the the main one who's who's been added. Um it's a big project, and I wonder if he's got the, the the stomach for things. I mean, it was always a huge criticism of uh, Klinsmann uh, uh, Bayern that he wanted to change too much too quickly. Too quickly yeah. And I, but I do think, on the other hand, there is this weird juxtaposition because his desire seems to have been uh, to yeah be a, an old style British coach like a, a Wenger mm. or a Ferguson, someone with that sort of overarching power. But you have to ask. If you're the investor, Lars Windhorst, you don't you don't want that, do yeah. you? You know, you you want him to advise on the board, and you, you know you want him to be the pretty so blonde. What actually, the, the what front, actually really, is his role? Is you talking about essentially you're talking about a glorified ambassador here? Well, yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think I think I think you are ab- yeah. absolutely. He's a holistic figure. Yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> He'd like to relocate her to California. Yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> well, sure. do, do you know what? Maybe they'd be closer to the pitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, 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 it wouldn't be the worst thing in, in the world if they ground shared with uh, so an what, AFC. What do you make of this then? Well, I. I think um, there are a, a few things going on, and a lot of a lot of people, as you say, think classic Klinsman because you know this is this is something that's happened before. He's got this desire to um, 
get everyone on board with with his philosophy and not really take other people's opinions on board. The interesting thing is when you talked about the manager versus coaching thing at the beginning, the appointment of the assistant, Alexander Nuri, is really important because Nuri was previously the coach of Werder Bremen. In a different situation, you know, you could definitely imagine him as manager slash head coach of, of Hertha. He's been responsible for the tactics all the way. It's nothing to do with Klinsmann. Which is basically the German national team as well. Yeah, ex- mm. ex- exactly. Uh, exactly, with Yogi Love. Mm. And they very self-consciously got in a guy who is used to coaching a team. I, I mean, I don't know. Is, is, is Klinsmann like a Californian Brian Clough? Someone, I, I, yeah. I don't think he's a, he's a million miles away from that. I'm sure he would love to see himself. Well, as, he's not Brian Clough. No, <laughs> no, 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 I know, he's, I know, he's really I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah as in, it's basically, it's, um, it's his force of personality that is his, and, and I suppose his personality and his career that it, and his ideas that are the value here rather than, well, actually, maybe not, more his overall ideas or his actual football ideas and that, his, are, that are his and value. His, and his image and his charisma yeah, yeah. because of where Herta are trying to go as yeah. well. But it's, it all, I think it also touches on another issue here is that <laughs> I suppose the, the, the conflict between when you're trying to impose some sort of medium to long-term vision with the very short-term necessity of, uh, of staying up. Yeah. I mean, it's, impo- it's impossible to do that in that sort of time because unless you're actually willing to take the hit of being well, of going down. Well, Miguel, it's a process. I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when um, the guys pointed out what happened at Man City and then we kind of compared that to Hertha. Um, you know, Man City didn't start out by signing. I mean, they, they got a couple of yeah. big name marquee signs, but they were signing players like Gareth Barry and Rocky well, Sandoval because but, but, it's a process, right? Well, you know why they did that as well? It, 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 this, is, this is brilliantly um, put across in the book The Club. City's first strategy was basically to cripple the teams immediately around them. Mm. So that meant buying from Aston Villa, mm. from Arsenal. Mm. So not, not only did it strengthen them, mm. it, it completely scuttled mm. those who they were immediately in competition but, but, with. Was it not also the case that realistically, when you're the new kid on the block with this, and, and by the way, mm. Windhorst isn't anywhere near the, of the value of, of that anyway. No. no. But it's, it's not realistic to go to a senior pro. Well, like, well, yeah. they, well they tried to go and get um, Kaká, for example. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not, you're not going to get in the room with Kaká from day one, is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. So the short term for her to is to kind of build gradually, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and if, it sounds to me uh, only based on what you guys have been saying that Klinsmann has he, has he kind of mis- misinterpreted his own role here he needs to be the ambassador he needs to be someone to give them authenticity because of the experience because of the USP he's got as Jurgen Klinsmann but I th- I think, should, he, should he be anywhere near the, the, the playing side I mean should, should he be doing that no I'm not convinced he should be and yeah. I, th- I think you have to look at Preet's role in, in, in this as well because the, the fact is they, they did start the, 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 the season with a, a different coach Ante Chovic and um, he was very much cut from her to cloth and in terms of image in terms of what he represented he was a very, very long way from um, what 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 Klinsman is. You know, he's almost the the, the polar opposite. So um, Klinsman being parachuted in mid season when he has st- such strong philosophy is is an issue straight away. But it seems like something it, it it's, it's very made up on the spot because he was a member of the advisory board. Yeah. That pretty face at the front to make them into this, well, start making them into this big city club that that they want to be. But then you parachute him into the playing context. All of a sudden, that's that's very very un. It's uh, very yeah. very unusual. Like, so he's he's like been a figurehead the whole way, and he seems concerned. Careful, yeah. 
Sorry. <laughs> Smash my phone across. So you're very passionate about your yeah. twins, man. The Cl- anger. Clancy. Yeah. But, a name that provokes no passion. Yeah, Clancy. yeah, exactly. But I do feel like it's it's because if you look it's the stakes are high here. Because yeah, if you look are. if you look at what Rin Horse is trying to do at Herta, you get it, because they're an underperforming team in a yeah. big capital city, which will be an attractive destination for players, for fans, for a brand. But he's not got pot he's not got yeah. endless amounts of money. He's, it, not, it, he's yeah. not worth it. He, he can't spend three hundred million on it. If you if you're Ferran Soriano though or someone like that, you're saying that, that is a market opportunity. Yeah, it is. One, one of one of Europe's major capitals, and it doesn't have any sort of football force. Hmm. A major capital in one of Europe's biggest, wealthiest countries. Hmm. There's just huge yeah, scope there. What, what a start to the project it would be if they finished that first season yeah. as the second place team in Berlin. Yeah, yeah, that'd, be, yeah. that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, because I mean, and it could it could happen. It could. It's it's, it's in reasonable chance of happening, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's, well, it's happening at the moment. Well, Union look a better team. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying they've got better players, but they 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 look a better team. They've got they've got a better coach clearly in Urs Fiske. Um, they've got continuity. Um, I think everyone looked at that Union team at the start of the season and thought, yeah, there's no way they can stay up. But actually, you look at the experienced players. Uh, they've 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 brought in mm. the likes of Nevin Subotic has, has been a great leader for them, uh, and then you look at the ones that have sort of stepped up at a, a different level, and you look at um, uh, Marius Buter who scored those two goals of of, of Verda last last week. Mm. Um, they've they've found their groove. They know what sort of team they yeah, are. They're that's, very that's very strong at home. But exactly, yeah. it's so much built around their personality and the what the way they play at First Arrive. You know, they've they've worked on what their their strengths are. They've got a far stronger idea of who they are yeah. than well, her to well, do. I, remember I was talking to someone who used to work at Barcelona about this issue and it was in relation to Manchester United but it's it's a principle that basically goes across European football and essentially what what separates functioning clubs from non-functioning clubs whatever context is that first of all you've got to decide what sort of club you are and from that you, you're an identity of football and everything builds from there. It yeah. means every sort yeah. of appointment and every sort of signing fits into that structure. Yeah. And I mean, it eliminates mistakes, makes everything streamlined. And essentially what's what's happened here. You're talking about exactly, like basically the, t- the team I think of when you say that is West Ham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is, isn't this... How many weeks, let's get back to Herta, but how many weeks are we going to be here before we find out that Klinsberg's left entirely? Uh, well, well, we'll wait and see, I suppose. I think the biggest problem for them is, in, and following on from what Miguel was saying, even if they weren't the most glamorous club, arguably one of the most boring clubs in, in, in the top flight before this, they did have a very strong idea of what they were. You look at Pal Dardai, Ante Chovic, very, very sort of hurt a DNA Kind of, kind of guys, and then all of a sudden, what do you mean by that? Explain what you mean by that. They're guys who who know the club, who've got a history with the club, mm. and and that's that's something that's very important. And all of a sudden, it's like right, we're going big time overnight. We don't know how we're going to do it, yeah. but we are going to do it. And here's Jurgen Klinsmann at, 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 the, <laughs> at the front, and because he's sort of come from inside the club to an extent, because he's already on the on the supervisory board, people think, oh, that's okay. It'll be a nice, smooth transition. But like with many things with Klinsmann, it's actually pretty it feels jolty. Very, it feels very superficial, mm. which was a lot of Klinsmann's career. In, in, in management, I should say, not not playing career. And actually, Klinsmann's legacy in itself is quite interesting because mm. obviously he's kind of now the figurehead that basically transformed... Is is someone identified with the transformation of German football? Yeah. Whereas like, once again, he was just kind of again literally a figurehead, while other people were doing the work below, and he was kind of the, the the one to be fair. Like that's not to say he was without input or without quality, but the whole thing kind of continued at a at a better rate without him. Goes to America, and 
there's, there's a lot of debate about actually his effect there, and it, it, it is an, it's an odd legacy in that in terms of his post playing career. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even him who sent the coaching license across from California, yeah. is it? Oh, what the ball! And I said, one time stay in the buitenspel. Bam! 1-1! Bang! In the face! All right, Porto brought themselves right back into the league title mix with a win over Benfica, 3-2 at the Dragao. Uh, it was a game packed full of incidents. Um, and we have to say, Benfica president Luis Felipe Vieira has taken it very well, uh, <laughs> saying that um, we need overseas referees to over over here. The, the thing is, uh, I think Bruno Lage, the, um, the coach of Benfica, he's, he's in this position where, of course, he has to with his president but he's done quite well to turn the conversation around to well actually there were things we could have done better we could have defended a bit better and it's, it's normal for him to to say that I think because Benfica had created such incredibly high standards before this they were on the back of what 18 19 successive away league wins this was the first Liga away game under Bruno Lage that had not won mm. I mean let that sink in that's mm. an incredible record. I mean, this this goes right back to the start, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Portugal's yeah. one of yeah. one of those countries, isn't mm. it? But in terms of the title race being uh, alive and kicking, um, Porto did everything they had to do. Mm. A really strong performance, um, particularly in the in, in the first half. And interestingly, these two sides both won in the Tasta Portugal um, semi final second legs this week. So they're already going to meet as well in the Tasta Portugal, the, the cup final in um, May 24th uh, at Jamor, the old uh, national stadium. Um, so that should, that should be quite interesting. Actually, Benfica got a real going over in the second leg of, of that game um, against the, the, the semi against uh, Famalicão. And, you know, we, we talk about big teams balancing resources. Well, Famalicão, of course, they're new to the top flight this season. And um, they'd lost 3-2 in the, in, in the first leg at the Estadio de Luz. Going into the second leg, they very consciously put in all their eggs in one basket. And uh, Jorge Sosa, the coach, he rotated 10 players at the weekend when Fumalicao played Guimarães. They lost 7-0 at home <laughs> to Guimarães. That's how seriously they were taking it. And they, it nearly worked out for them as well. Um, they uh, they drew 1-1 with Benfica, but they totally penned Benfica in their half. I've not seen a team dominate Benfica like Famalicao did, in, the, in, in especially the second half of that, that second leg. Hmm. Um, and Porto got to the final as well. So anyway, it keeps the rivalry all bubbling mm. as well and Porto goalkeeper Ike Casillas who is I believe still in recovery from a, a heart attack yeah. he had in yeah, July and he, is, he is still officially Porto goalkeeper Ike Casillas he's, <laughs> yeah. not, he's not completely ruled out no. coming back and he's not played this season he's doing some coaching and the idea is at some point they'll make him sporting director or some such well will in they less. Yeah. Less. Let, let, me, let me get to it he hasn't featured <laughs> in this season but he has reportedly announced his intention to run for the presidency of the Spanish FA uh, the 38 year old has apparently sounded that Andres Iniesta and Carlos Puyol for advice about his bid. Now, you've kind of half answered that, Andy, but Miguel, is this an avenue we always saw Ika heading down and how do we kind of see it playing out? Because you were saying to me before we came in, he's known as a pretty pretty clever guy, pretty yeah. intelligent. Uh, and Spain, to be fair, has recently had this strand of players who go into these sort of roles. And you mentioned Puyol there, who has basically become a very prominent agent in Spain. So, I mean... Uh, maybe is that what he's doing now? He's yeah, yeah. Now. Well, the thing is, if Barcelona weren't such an incredible mess upstairs... 
he, he would probably still be their sporting director, yeah, w- yeah. W- wouldn't he? So it could have gone even a different yeah. way, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, first of all, there's that tradition. And then secondly, CS himself is an interesting figure. Um, I think this, it's something, to be honest, I always think of him now, anytime you see beyond his goalkeeping and his two saves in the 2010 World Cup final against Robin. Yeah. Career moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I remember watching a video a few years ago, which was him and Fernando Hierro on the at the Real Madrid training ground, and someone was put into them. They were just throwing data. I think it's on YouTube. If you want to check it out. Uh, I mean, you saw it a few years ago. You've mentioned Fernando Hierro there. Yeah, was, I mean, but, but no, but Hierro wasn't playing. He, <laughs> I was, was going to say he was, right. he was part of the Madrid staff. Right, 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 right. And someone starts throwing dates out to them, and Hierro just doesn't have a clue. And Casillas, by just being given the date, is able to pinpoint the match, the Real Madrid score. The, the scorers the sequence and basically his performance hmm. when and you've it, played it, that it, many games that's it, pretty impressive it, it, exactly yeah and it does speak I, mean, I think it speaks to I suppose a very kind of logistical organised mind in that sense with a lot of recall incredible amount of recall and I, I think he is a very sharp progressive figure and it'll be interesting to see how he develops in this sort of role eh? because but do you, you think do you think he'll become the president do you think, I mean is, is it well I mean there's, there's, there's obviously there's a lot of politics here I mean Tebas has backed him and Tebas, uh, there has been tension between Tebas and Rubiales. Because he, he just uh, only three or four weeks ago, I was at the launch of La Liga TV, where Tebas spoke, and he made a very, very pointed comment about the Spanish FA and why they're um, why they're playing in Saudi Arabia in the first place. And we, like, I mean, he's he's a pugnacious guy, yeah, Tebas, isn't he? It's, right? it's quite interesting. Like, I mean, despite, you were there as well, weren't you? I was. Yeah, were you yeah. guys sat in there, Poch. I was right behind him, actually. Were you? So, so were you? Were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah well, we were together, yeah. Great. Any, any insight? Um, he's supposed he, to be journalist. Two of the best journalists in the country. He's, yeah. he's very, very good at avoiding questions. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. something that he's been working on in his in his yeah. time off, I think. But that it is interesting what you were talking about, Miguel, about the open warfare between um, the La Liga and the RFEF, the, yeah. the, the Spanish FA, because it's, it's something that's come up again this week because, of course, um, Barcelona is a little sideways story, but... I think it's worth underlining. Sound like you, Andy. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. We've got room to talk. We've got yeah. room to talk. Uh, but um, Barcelona are hoping to get their medical joker signed off. Like Basically, in Spain, just as in France, if you lose a player to serious injury, you can apply to the league to um, have like uh, to get a player who's either a free agent or contracted to another club in the, in the same league and sign them as a as a replacement. And so Barcelona are looking to do that for Usman Dembélé, who's been ruled out this yeah, week. Another for, six months, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. right. With this this serious injury, uh, serious thigh injury, so he's going to be out for um, the rest of the league campaign and, and for the Euros. Now, normally, this is a formality that is waved through, mm. um, but the RFEF are saying we're still considering if Barcelona mm. can do this. We've still got to sign it off, and La Liga are like, well. For Christ's sake, we've had five other instances of this yeah. this season, and it's you've you've not got involved. So why do you need to approve this? But it's just really um, Barcelona are a bit of a. I don't think there'll be a long term victim of it, but they're they're an immediate and short term victim of this battle between the two mm-hmm. the, the, the the two warring factions. I think this is what makes Casillas' run for president so interesting mm. because Rubiales has upset a lot of people yeah, yeah. and he's upset a lot of people from day one. I mean, if well, you can think... Well, his first act in the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. was to yeah. sack Julian Lopetegui. And, 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 this, and what a baptism that was. I mean, it's funny. I think if you go back to the beginning and look at Rubiales and you think the way he dealt with that, whether you think he did the right thing or not in sacking Lopetegui, 
and you could argue with the way that Spain's World Cup went, yeah. well, well, he definitely didn't handle it the right way. You can see why he did I, I, it. I still think he was right in principle. Yeah, right. I, exactly. I think you can see but why what, he did the, it. What? But I think the fact that there was such player opposition yeah. to him firing Lopetegui, it, it, it definitely upset things. I think in terms of st- taking a stand against Real Madrid doing exactly thinking they could do exactly what they wanted and notably the only one of the Madrid papers that backed Real Madrid over that was can you have a guess? Marca, Marca. obviously yeah, yeah, but but it was interesting to see a lot of the other Madrid media saying look Real Madrid are out of order here yeah. they've completely mucked up well, Spain's World Cup bid but I think what's more important since is the move of the Super Cup to, to Saudi Arabia that has that has put Rubiales in a tricky position. Well, uh, and especially as he was so visibly out there and enjoying yeah. the benefits of it and almost like a, a conduit for the Saudi tourist well, yeah, board. Oh yeah, and, and also if we're talking about moral principles in terms of the Lopetegui situation, it then com- <laughs> complete, completely, under, I mean, that's all washed away when you're just so willing to just get into bed with the Saudis and and, and, yeah. and, and everything but, but, that competition but, represents. Miguel, it's, it's interesting that you that Andy mentions um, La Liga and the Spanish FA and because and, one of my questions was going to be, just from a layman's point of view, is this a move by the Spanish FA to try and get, to consolidate more power because they're in a position that perhaps the FA here are in with the Premier League where the Premier League's kind of got all the aces and, and all the power really is is that kind of why they're trying to do it yeah completely um, and I mean and, and it, it's something that's coming across football now where and it, this is actually another point Tebas made now he and he said it in relation to FIFA and UEFA but you could I, I, I mean thinking about it now actually there was a, this was surely code about the Spanish FA as well where you have bodies that are supposed to be regulators of the game and safeguards and the ones that ultimately their, their only role should really be to ensure everything in football runs smoothly and, and you know in, in interject when there's potential conflicts and potential problems with the game, and instead they basically see themselves as part of the competition mm. and want want their own piece of this massive pie, mm. which 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 you've seen in something like the Super Cup. Mm. Yeah, I mean the Casillas thing is 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 interesting because he's got this the unity candidate. Yeah, ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly because he's got this saintly image. I, I think it's really important. I mean, his whole career really mm. is absolutely fascinating and continues to be fascinating from the teenager who saved the day against Leverkusen yeah. in, in, in 2002 to, you know, the cornerstone of Spanish success in the dressing yeah. room as, as much as anything but, and, else. And, and, and even and the, that, in relation to the unity candidate thing, when things in the Classico got really, really poisonous between Madrid and Barcelona when Mourinho was there, yeah. and particularly between someone like Alonso and the rest mm. of the, and the Barcelona yeah. players, it was Casillas that stepped in, mediated, and, yeah. and organised a kind of a, some sort of conflict with, with, with Xavi to ensure that the um, the unity of the Spanish national team wasn't broken. And then they went on and won Euro twenty twelve. You can put that on your CV, Ika. Oh, yeah, that's uh, surely just shooting for a job after that. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? It almost is is sainthood was reinforced by this massive fallout with yeah. with Mourinho to the extent yeah, 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 yeah. to to the extent actually when like if you actually looked if if you remove the politics of it which i realize is very very difficult in spanish yeah. football but if you remove the politics of it Mourinho's sporting case for dropping him it's a really strong one yeah, it's exactly. a, it's a really strong one yeah. and when you get to the point where it's um 2014 Casillas almost lost them, La Decima. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. D- didn't he? In, in a season where he didn't play at all yeah, in the league. Had a, a dam, and, yeah, and played just in the in, mm. in, in the Champions League. But but for Sergio Ramos, they, they lose that and it's all yeah. it's, it's all Casillas' fault. And, and, and basically in that situation as well, I mean you're right, there was complete by that point it was a completely it was total sporting merit to drop Casillas. 
And yet now, but in a wider circumstance, he still looks like he's morally on the right. Especially, I mean, given everything, I suppose, that's transpired with Mourinho's career and how often it's happened where he's basically yeah. there's been poison in his dressing rooms and he started calling out players for being rats and all the rest of it <laughs> uh, uh, which repeatedly happens uh, but then in, in the middle of all that there was that, there was that story about uh, Madrid when it was in 2011 again when Mourinho was restarting really imposing himself in that squad and trying to oust someone like Casillas which in itself was a power play I mean that that's the issue really it wasn't so much because of sporting reasons. It was also about Mourinho asserting his power sure. in the dressing room full of sure. these figures. Absolutely. And there's that story where he was basically, he was talking to other players about Casillas and someone else. And Casillas over here from the other side of the, of the, 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 uh, the training grounds that's shouting, hey mister, that's not how we do things around here. Right. And it's again, you're carrying that, that moral weight against ultimately, you know, politicking. And right. it's, it's interesting how he's reinvented himself even further at Porto because at the start of when he signed for Porto most ex- most best paid player in the history of the club and he was like a symbol of where Porto had lost it and where yeah. they'd moved away from good transfer business and, and, and all, all the rest of it. It's been there five years now, hasn't he? Yeah, and mm. it's, it's incredible. It looked really unlikely. Yeah, like, 2015, like, yeah, yeah. It, it looked really unlikely like a year in that he would get an extension to his contract, which he eventually mm. did because, you know, goalkeepers aren't shirt sellers as well. There was no yeah. real commercial reason for, for signing him either. He's a and handsome lad. Yeah, yeah he, is. He, he certainly is. <laughs> yeah. And he got, isn't he got a fan, quite a famous wife as well? So yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Carbonaro. Carbonaro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he kissed at the, uh, yeah, right. in a TV interview. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. And uh, yeah, you, you had this situation where he made a couple of high profile errors especially in that first year. He made the big blunder against uh, Dinamo Kiev yeah. in the Champions League that eventually stopped them qualifying as as well. And he was associated with the Lopetegui era, which went horribly, horribly wrong. And yet, because he's this figure with uh, you know, greater power mm. than being just, just a great footballer, he actually turned it around at Porto. And when you bear in mind that if you're a player like that, especially a goalkeeper mm. in the Portuguese Liga, it really only really matters how you play in, unless you make, unless you're throwing them in left, right and centre. It only really matters how you play in probably four, five yeah, matches yeah. A, a season, certainly in a league context. So for him to turn it round, recover his form, at one point there was a mini campaign in Spain, especially when De Gea was having a yeah, terrible yeah. time, for him to be recalled to the yeah. national team. So that shows you how important he still is. He's only is got in the 176 caps. It's a scandal. <laughs> yeah. Give him one or two well, extra. He is a legend. We wish him all the, all the very best, of course. Right, games of the week time, chaps. This is where you really earn your corn, Miguel. Um, I'll go first, just get them on out of the way. Sunday night, Lazio v Inter is a huge game. Third v first, and one point separates the top three sides in Italy now. And especially um, after Inter's comeback in the Milan derby. Exactly. Milan derby. Amazing. Amazing. One of the best games of the season, that. I mean, it was, it, but it, what, what a reward that is for like making like this absolutely Herculean comeback. Oh, you're away to Lazio next week. Yeah, La- yeah. Lazio have won 13 out of 15 in, in, in the league and drew the other two. Well, I was about to say, Lazio haven't lost in the league since the 25th of September. And do you remember who that was to? Inter. Right, yeah. So it's, oh, was that it's, come, that it's come around again. And, and Lazio were good for a lot of it. In the Milan derby, there was an, there's another universe that we're all currently living in now where yeah. Ibrahimovic scores in the final minute, I think, yeah, when he yeah. hit the post to make yeah. it 3 all. It yeah. ends 3 all. Ibrahimovic, at the age of 49, scores two and sets the other one up <laughs> in a Milan derby. That, that would have been one of the worst things to happen for the world. <laughs> 
Uh, because the amount, the, amount, the amount of bullshit we would have had to hear about the, the, the Ibrahimovic legacy. Uh, what about I, the, you just thinking about the think pieces? Yeah, oh, oh God, mate. I, just, I can't stand. I mean, obviously he's a very good player, Ibrahimovic. I just can't stand the persona, the persona that goes with it. Do you know? What? First of all, I thought that would have been crazy, and secondly, I thought that's forty thousand words in the Athletic. That. <laughs> <laughs> so why is Lazio v Inter on Sunday night? It'd be a ma- it'll be an amazing game, whatever happens. Um, what about you, Miguel? Since it is my first time in this podcast, uh, for some money, hopefully. Um, you're very welcome. I'll, I'll, I'll go for a, a slightly hometown one, but it is a, actually a good fixture. Uh, I'll go for my um, my mother's hometown team, Osasuna, who are playing in what many would call a Basque derby. It's not uh, against Athletic, Bil- Athletic Bilbao. You're proud uh, Navarran. Navarran, yeah. It's, they're, they're not Basque, even though many would call it that. But, but it is interesting. I mean, first of all, given the context of the clubs, they're doing both relatively well this season, particularly Osasuna, I think. Mm. Uh, consolidate their place. And I, there's, there's always been interesting tension between the clubs because both have been, obviously, they've had both had such good youth academies. But there's always been an issue where because Athletic Bilbao see Navarans as potentially part of the, the, the greater Basque region, that they can pick Navarans as, a famous example being Fernando Llorente, they can, they can pick uh, players from that area as part of their... Uh, How does Navarans feel about that? Uh, well... F- See, it depends because uh, Navarra, and particularly Pamplona, has always attracted. Uh, there, there has been a lot of Basques there. Anytime you go to Pamplona, you'll see a lot of Basque flags. Uh, you'll see a lot of graffiti about how Navarra is not Spain or it's the Basque country. Um, even, even, but no, most Navarians would consider it its own kingdom that's part of Spain. Uh, I mean, those sort of politics, it's not, it's not as pronounced in other areas. But I think the major tension between the clubs has historically been the idea that Bilbao, for all other people, see them as some sort of pure for- force in the area around that region, clubs like Osasuna and Real Sociedad would see Bilbao as a big club who just picks off some of their players. Right. And you've, you've kind of got to do that, haven't you? Yeah. If you restrict yourself to only yeah. Bass players, you have to really stretch the definition at a certain yeah. times, so, so, Does that mean there'll be a bit of spice in this game? There, Sunday, always, Sunday yeah. tea time, yeah. There always is a bit of spice to the game anyway. Mm. Um, and they're, they're both quite physical sides yeah, as well. Yeah, I love yeah, the idea of this, this podcast playing a role in a load of people trying to find a way to watch Athletic Bilbao vs <laughs> Asuna after their Sunday lunch. Great. Good stuff. Good good first, uh, good first debut uh, game selection, uh, Miguel. Athletic in the semis of the Copa del Rey as well, having yeah, been uh, Granada this week. Absolutely. And you talked a bit about um, the, the last time Athletic did well in a cup competition or two uh, under Bielsa earlier this week. Yeah, that's that, that's right. And there was that there was an actual genuine Basque derby last week between Real Sociedad and Athletic, which uh, Alex Izak absolutely... But Miguel doesn't want to talk about that. He's Navarro, mate. So, yeah. <laughs> It's no. disrespectful. Well, it is the scope for uh, from certain websites for six thousand word pieces on Sociedad against, or sorry, La Real, I should say, against uh, Athletic from the nineteen eighties when they both won four titles, when they essentially won four titles in a row. Yeah, heady days, incredible. That is amazing given the, the recruitment policy. Yeah, it's incredible. That. If you go into a lot of bars in Old San Sebastian, they'll have a lot of black and white photos yeah. like behind the behind the counter of Real Sociedad. Well, in the, in eight, the 80s, there was colour photos in the 80s. Why not colour? <laughs> Trying to make it more glamorous yeah. than it was. That's the plan, with yeah. black and white photos, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like wedding photos. All right, your wedding photos are definitely in black and white. <laughs> um, what's, what's, your, uh, what's your game of the week, Andy? I've got no idea. I haven't even written it down. Um, my, do you, you know I love like free football on TV. It's really important. Yeah. So I'm going to go for one on free sports, which now has its own app if you don't have it on your TV. And these are the ambassador for free sports. I mean, unpaid ambassador because they give everything away for free. But you, you cannot an, move without him mentioning I'm free I'm an ambassador sports. for free football. Yeah. I think Do you can... watch free sports? I don't. No. no. Here you go. Well, it's, it's in HD now. So yeah. I'm, 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 I'm at the point though where I go to so many football matches where I actually only rarely watch football on TV. Right. Okay. Yeah. Purist. 
No, not just that. It's just basically because when, when you're at about ninety games a season, yeah, you're, you're free. Where are you, free go, where are you going this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I actually got to go back to Dublin, so I've got no game. Oh, okay. Uh, but I'm back then for. Oh, you're doing you're doing Leipzig next week, aren't you? No, I'm doing Chelsea United, then I'm doing Dortmund PSG, and then I'm doing Spurs Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, okay. Andy, sorry, no, I'll be at Dortmund PSG. That's a digression. It's a digression. Yeah, it was. We can sorry. go to a nice bar. After. I'll be at Spurs. Yeah. Le- I'll be at Spurs Leipzig as well. And Andy, be very careful. Actually, don't even drink. So you know, there's nothing there for you, Miguel. He doesn't even drink beer, so he's not. You're not going <laughs> to. I'll get a higher car. Make myself useful. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Doesn't that drive around the Brussels? It's your full name. <laughs> uh, just tell me your game of the week. Is it going to be? Because on free sports. It's going to be a Portuguese game. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Benfica versus Braga. We talked about Braga and Ruben Amorim a, a couple of weeks ago. He finally saw his hundred percent record as a head coach in the top flight come to an end last week they were 2-0 up against Gilles Vicente and uh, conceded that lead to draw 2-2 in the end um, but Braga still absolutely transformed under, under their new coach and it'll be interesting then playing Benfica Benfica have had two really hard games this week as we said against um, Porto and then for Malikau in the in, in the second leg of that they're also missing Gabriel in midfield who's got a really unusual injury it's um, called sixth nerve palsy Huh, and uh, it's, it's um, some condition that basically affects his sight. He doesn't have clear vision at the moment. Wow. So they've, he's a hugely important player to them. He's, he's, he's brilliant for Leganes in Spain, of course, beforehand and worked pretty hard to, to get that move to happen. When I say worked pretty hard, went on strike. <laughs> um, and he's, he's been great for Benfica, especially in the last year or so. Um, so that they've no idea when he's going to be able to come back. It's a condition that can take up to six months to clear. It might even require surgery. They don't know yet. Um, so it's it's a tough week for Benfica and I have to say with the way Braga have played in 2020 they're probably the last opponent you'd want to face in that time even though they do have a lamentable record at the Estadio de Luz so that's 6 o'clock on Saturday you'd fancy uh, Vinicius to get a few goals in that game wouldn't you? Well, he always fancies himself to get a few goals. He's, he's been, he's, I can't believe we haven't heard anything about him. 24, ridiculous amount of goals and the ridiculous amount well, of appearances. They're trying to sign him to a new contract yeah, they are. already, even though he only signed at the start of the season, just so they can knock that release clause up to ridiculous, no one wants to touch them sort of level. Yeah, protect your investments, second tier clubs. That's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much, Andy. Brilliant. This was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.